So as you know, uh, during this season, we are looking through the book of Acts uh, at the different stories where the Holy Spirit is present. Um, And last week, we were in Acts chapter 1, and we were talking about preparing ourselves for the Holy Spirit, how in a very real sense, um, the teaching of Jesus is that if we truly desire to be filled with the Spirit, we will be. Um, That it's a matter of our own heart and whether we are uh, seeking God's Spirit um, or not. Um, At the end of last week, we finished with the ascension. Jesus rose into heaven, uh, and the disciples were watching, wondering if he was coming back. Um, And then two uh, heavenly men said, what are you guys looking at? The same way he uh, ascended into heaven, he'll be coming back the same way, but uh, now it's time to to get to the business at hand. And um, from the day of the ascension until... Uh, the day of Pentecost, you know, we aren't entirely sure about how long it is, but it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 days. Um, and like we said earlier, it's, it's interesting that, uh, that the disciples have the courage to wait 10-ish days uh, before going and sharing the good news of the ascension of Jesus. Um, I mean, I know if it was me, I would be anxious to start telling people. Uh, the, I would have left the mountain where Jesus ascended, and my first uh, sort of natural response would be, okay, let's go back and let's put a strategy together to go and tell the rest of Jerusalem about what just happened. Right, so uh, Peter, Andrew, uh, we want you to take, you know, this section of town, and uh, James, Philip, uh, you're going to this section of town, and uh, uh, the ladies, where the ladies, oh yes, you, yeah, uh, we need you to go over here, Um, but that's not what the disciples do. The disciples return to the home where they're all living together, and they pray, and they wait, They wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. They wait for the supernatural empowerment that comes with God's Spirit being present in their lives. Um, I was reading this this past week uh, in the Presence-Based Church by Terry Teclin. He was was talking about um, not the disciples, but going back in the Old Testament um, and in uh, Exodus chapter 33, uh, the the conversation between Moses and God. Because um, in Exodus uh, thirty-three fourteen, God tells Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses responds, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. For how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And Tekel goes on to say that Moses considered the presence of God to be the most important ingredient he needed to be successful at what God was asking him to do. And he also knew that the presence was what would set him apart as God's chosen beloved nation. He was not concerned about money, supplies, or desert-wandering experience. He did not seem to care much about the size of his army or the less-than-ideal accommodations. 
He never asked God for more knowledge or power or authority over the sometimes stubborn and rebellious people he was leading. All he really wanted was to know that God's presence was with him. So oftentimes the question um, that I find myself asking is, is what makes the church different from the rest of the world? What makes um, the church different than other good uh, organizations that are hoping to make the world a better place? You know, what makes the church different than Kiwanis? Uh, what makes the church different than Boy Scouts? Uh, what is it that is unique and special about what God is doing through the community of faith that only happens in our community? I think the answer lies here in Acts chapter 2. Luke writes that when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Um, And then I'm not going to make the same mistake that Serena did and try and recite all those uh, countries. Um, but let's, let's jump to the end where, amazed and perplexed, they all asked one another, what does this mean? Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? When was the last time that God was so present in our lives that we just kind of sat back and said, I don't know what just happened. But that was cool. When was the last time that that God responded to our prayers with such power that we were left speechless? I, I think that's a big part of what the church is that separates us from the rest of the world. God has so chosen to use the church as the vehicle to pour out the power of the Holy Spirit into human existence. Kiwanis does great things. But people aren't healed in the power of the Holy Spirit at Kiwanis meetings. At least none that I've been to. Boy Scouts does a really good job of of building up uh, citizens and uh, young men who are uh, who make an impact in their community. But I haven't heard about someone getting healed in the power of the Holy Spirit at a Boy Scout meeting either. Together, as a community of faith, we bear witness to God doing things that are weird. Things that are strange. And, and, and I would say the, the strangest thing of all that we bear witness to is that the assumptions of our culture, we learn to believe something else. 
in a culture that says it's all about me and mine and what I can do to grow my own personal wealth and power, every day around the world, people who are engaged in the life of discipleship are learning how to, like Jesus, empty themselves and live lives that look more and more like Jesus. But this, this isn't the only place in the Bible where we see uh, God doing supernatural, crazy, uh, powerful things. Um, and it's not even the only place where we see uh, God's Spirit fall on the people like fire. Um, in Second Chronicles chapter 7, we read that when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. The priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And all the sons of Israel, seeing the fire come down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshipped and gave praise to the Lord, saying, Truly he is good. Truly his loving kindness is everlasting. And then there's the, the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal from 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, where at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and I am your servant. And I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And these are two of several, but... Again and again, the pattern emerges that the Holy Spirit shows up in a mighty and powerful way and fills the people with God on the heels of repentance and on the heels of prayer and on, on, on the heels of people desiring to know God in new and fresh ways. But even with that, sometimes there will be those who make fun and say, those Christians have just had too much wine. Because this isn't normal. Living a Christian life isn't normal. Choosing a radical hospitality for those who are different than us isn't normal. You'll be called horrible names. Choosing to be uh, generous with those whose society has written off isn't normal. People will think you're making horrible decisions. Choosing to be gracious with those who have hurt you time and time again isn't normal. That's exactly what we're called to. Jesus calls us to a life that doesn't fit the categories of North America very comfortably. 
Jesus calls us to a sort of life and a sort of, of way of living and moving and having our being and believing and existing that doesn't fit this left-right political divide we have in the United States. It doesn't fit the uh, rich-poor cultural divide that we have in the United States. It doesn't fit the uh, people of European descent and everyone else cultural divide that we have in the United States. God calls us to a different sort of life where those who are in our path, whether they look like us, believe like us, act like us, make the same sort of decisions we do or not, they are still invited to belong. They're still invited to come and see the power of God on display. And that's radical. Because we aren't a culture of belonging. A little while back, um, we talked about this, but we'll bring it up again. Um, We're a culture of loneliness. Every time a study is done, the data comes back the same way. People living in the West are lonelier than any other set of humans in the history of humankind. We have all of this technology at our fingertips, which is supposed to help us stay connected, but really it has given us new ways to separate ourselves from one another. Theoretically, we have more information than ever before, but it hasn't made us kinder or gentler. It's made us scareder, scareder, more scared. And in the midst of this world of anxiety, in this world of fear, in this world of separation, God calls us as the church to deny all of those lies. He calls us as the church to be great neighbors, even to the neighbors who are terrible neighbors. God calls us to be friends to the co-workers that we would just as soon walk the other direction when they're coming to the water cooler. Jesus calls us to sit at the lunch table of the weird kid. Because the hope that we have in the resurrection, in the ascension, in the coming kingdom of Christ is for everyone. We don't get to decide who's worthy and who's not. I wish it were different. Because there are a whole lot of people who I'd keep out of Caleb's heaven. Just being real. There are a whole lot of people who, you know, not sure I want my kids to, you know, be around. A whole lot of people who I don't really want to be around. 
But Jesus died not so that I can build fences around myself to keep myself away from those who I consider less than me or different than me or badder than me or what have you. Jesus dies and invites us to build a new kind of community where everyone belongs. Where everyone is embraced. And where together we discover what it is to live like Jesus. We, we discover what it is to, to put on Christian character. And it's hard. It's, it's ludicrously hard, right? Like, any time you are in community with other people, um, you know, mistakes will be made and people will be hurt. I mean, I don't know what Thanksgiving's like with your family. But the call of Jesus is greater than our fragile emotional state. It's greater than our ego. It's, it's greater than our, uh, our self-righteousness uh, or self-importance or uh, self-preservation even. Jesus calls us to live in a new way in the world. Jesus calls us to be so filled with the Holy Spirit that these people who are foreigners, these people who aren't like us, they see the way we, we interact with them and, and they say, uh, what does this mean? This is not what we're used to. This is not the way we've experienced life as a minority in this culture. And the reality is we can't manufacture that on our own. Just can't. We thought we could, right? Like, you know, the, the whole sort of... Uh, the, the whole cultural movement in education is if we just desegregate and educate better, then everyone will get along. And that has failed. Because the reality is the only way that we can live in an understanding and kind way with our neighbors who are different than us is if the Holy Spirit gives us that power. If the Holy Spirit empowers us to love those who we don't think are like us. Because frankly, it's really easy to love those who we think are like us. Because... We're basically just loving us, and that's easy. But it's only in the power of the Holy Spirit that we can discover how to love those who we would normally say they're not us. They're not part of our family. They're not part of our kin.
So as we move on here and we try to discover what it is to live in a Christ-like way in the community um, and in the world that, that we exist in, the example of the apostles should fill us. It should be our example. It should be our model and our pattern. Because I, I, I can't strategize how to live like Jesus. And honestly, I don't think you can either. But we can learn to inhabit new ways of living so that we are continually in prayer. We are continually asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When, when a decision is before us, we can slow down instead of immediately making a pros and cons list. Our first step can be to go before God and ask for wisdom and ask for clarity. And if you're a type A oldest child like me, that's really hard. Because it feels like you're not doing anything. It feels like you're sitting on your hands, letting, letting the world impact you rather than making an impact in the world. But the reality is the most powerful thing we can do to experience real life transformation, it's not to create a checklist to say, I'm going to do these seven things every day that will make me more Jesus-like. Although, I think that helps. But that might just be my type A oldest child sneaking through. If we want to live more like Jesus, it comes back to the daily prayer, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, every decision that, I, that, that, that is presented before me today. Lord, help me make it in a spirit-filled and empowered way. Lord, help me to see how, my, uh, how the decisions I make are going to affect other people so that I'm not simply acting out of self-interest but thinking about those around me and how what I do affects them. Lord, help me to love like Jesus who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, took on the form of a slave, died on a cross, and has been raised to new life. Let's pray together. Most holy and gracious God, we together with one heart and mind Pray the words, come Holy Spirit. Lord, fill us, mold us, transform us, use us. Lord, may your spirit fall afresh on us today. Help us to slow down, to live our daily lives in perpetual conversation with you seeking your wisdom and your guidance. Lord, may we know and experience your power this day and always. 
Amen.